Hey everyone, and thank you for tuning into week two of behind the scenes consumer product marketing. I am new to the podcast world, but I must say I am absolutely loving hosting these interviews and sharing these stories with all of you. So if you have any feedback on the podcast in general, want to share things that you like, that you want to hear more of, please email us at podcasts at sharebird.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people there. This podcast is a partnership with Sharebird. Sharebird is a peer mentoring platform. It's the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with your product marketing career. There is also a job board on the site, so definitely check it out. I love their resources. On this week's episode, I get to chat with Meg Donovan, who I actually worked with at Uber and from firsthand experience, I can tell you that she is absolutely a product marketing badass. Meg is the global director of brand and product marketing at Uber and shares a really unique perspective on the relationship between product, product marketing and brand and what it looks like when these three work really well together. Meg will also give us a behind the scenes look at how Uber reacted in the midst of COVID-19 and launched their Move What Matters campaign in just three weeks time, asking riders to stay at home and not ride with Uber. As Meg says, there is no playbook for a pandemic, so she will share with us some of her tips and firsthand experience on how her team powered through one of their biggest product marketing-led campaigns to date. But enough from me, let's dive in and get a behind-the-scenes look. Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Meredith Davis, and today we're going to get a behind the scenes look at how Uber quickly reacted to the pandemic stay at home orders in launching their Move What Matters campaign. For a company whose mission is to set the world in motion, Uber went 100% against the thing that they typically sell in launching campaigns and products that told people to do exactly the opposite and to stay at home. So I'm really excited to get a a behind the scenes look at how PMMs at Uber brought this to life in such a short amount of time. A lot of times from the consumer perspective, you may look at a billboard, an advertising campaign, or a TV ad and think that brand is largely at play here. But the strongest campaigns, activations, and product launches actually come when brand and product are really tied at the hip, closely working together, and that is where product marketers can really play a large role. Whether you're leading breakthrough campaigns or building media plans to reach consumers in a new way, product marketing and brand have to work together. To give us a behind the scenes look at how Uber launched these campaigns and how product marketing and brand really work together within just a few weeks span, I'm here with Meg Donovan. Meg is the global director of brand and product marketing at Uber, currently leading Uber's global brand and consumer product marketing organization. Meg joined Uber over six years ago as one of their earliest marketing employees and has since helped scale the ride-sharing app from around 75 cities to over 500 worldwide. Whether it's leading marketing research and strategy in Europe, the Middle East and Africa, 
Meg has been behind Uber's anti-racism campaign, If You Tolerate Racism, Delete Uber. And during the pandemic, she's led campaigns like Move What Matters to help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and No Mask, No Ride, as well as on-demand services like Uber Connect, a contactless way for people to send packages. Wow, that's a lot, which is why we are so incredibly fortunate to have her here today, especially with this unique perspective she'll be able to give on the relationship and partnership between brand and product marketing. So Meg, it is so great to have you here. It's so great to be here. And gosh, what a, what a lovely introduction. I'm on, honored to be here, really. And Meredith, like when you re- initially reached out about this, I was so excited to reconnect as a fellow Uber alum. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And first of all, I just want to say congratulations on the exciting accolade. You recently were named one of the top rising stars in brand marketing from Business Insider. So I can only imagine your LinkedIn inbox right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a definitely a great honor. And and amongst a a lot of really great talent on that list, I, I was really excited to be featured in that list. And it's definitely a representation of all the incredible work that the entire team has been doing across the year, across brand creative, et cetera. So thank you for recognizing that. Yes. So right now you oversee Uber's global brand and product marketing efforts, which is a really unique position and a ton of ownership. So I want to dive into that. But before you made your way into product marketing, you started your career in communications. I saw some growth roles and strategy. So how did you make your way into product marketing? Yeah, it's a great question. One of the wonderful things about working at at Uber is that It's afforded me the opportunity to work across so many different marketing disciplines. So yeah, I started my career in media and communications. There's a lot in in common with media planning and and growth marketing. So I like to think that I started my career in in growth marketing. And when I came to Uber, that's what I did. I started on a, a team that was exclusively focused on just growing the business. We sat within a, you know, cross functional org that included like product it included growth marketing, it included data science, engineers, et cetera. But like over time, as we started, you know, spending more and more money to acquire people, it was clear that we really needed actual insight around users, not first party data, but information about what makes them tick, attitudes, mindsets. And that was probably five years ago then. And then I started a role where I ended up moving into more of a strategic marketing role and, and did that for, for years, first in the US and that later in EMEA. So I've been, dabbled in consumer insights and, and built teams both in the US and EMEA to do that. And that later evolved into marketing strategy and brand. And I actually think that there's a lot in common with brand and product marketing because you're both connected by the desire to tell really strong stories and also just ground everything in, in users and understanding customers and what makes them tick. I was working in EMEA for a few years, leading both consumer insights and marketing strategy. And our our product marketing leader, who I've known for several years, and we've worked together for probably four, had reached out and asked if I was interested in taking on this product marketing lead role. She was at that point was consolidating product marketing under one umbrella. Previously, product marketing had sat in different product organizations across Uber. And so in 
July, 2019, every product marketer came together into one org and she really needed a, a leader who was able to bring consumer together, consumer product marketing, and really up-level the function so that we were the single voice of the customer. We were developing full funnel marketing plans that we were owning the marketing strategy piece, not just the inbound product marketing efforts and shaping the product with great insight. So so yeah, it made a lot of sense for me as someone who had a, a pretty big background in user insights and understanding the customer and translating that to something that could be a great strategic plan for the entire marketing organization. It just ended up making sense for me to to leap into that role. But as I said, that's one of the wonderful things at at Uber, you don't necessarily have to have direct experience in something to take on the next challenge. We're really great at betting on people's potential. So that's what my boss had done for me. And and so I ended up stepping in the role and building out the consumer product marketing function, which just has been really great. And I think there's a common misconception too around product marketing. A lot of product marketers don't start, it's not like you go to college for product marketing. You stumble upon it by being in communications and brand marketing and all these other uh, facets of marketing. But the key like similarity and something that you weave throughout is just being the voice of the customer. And I think we, we hear this over and over again for product marketers is be the voice of the customer, VOC. What does being the voice of the customer mean to you? And what do you feel like that looks like in practice? So I think the the first step is just being able to understand the customer well beyond what you would see from any sort of product experimentation or business data. A a lot of startups will, will build their initial insight around customers on what they're seeing come through from the business, like what the funnel looks like what type of messaging they're responding to in experimentation. In marketing and and in in consumer insights, understanding the customer means understanding exactly what makes them tick. When they get up in the morning, like what what do they do? What do they think? What are the mindsets that they they have? What brands appeal to them? What are some of their major pain points as they emerge through the day? And, And then beyond that, It's also being able to understand how you as as a brand or as a product are able to really solve some of those pain points. And so I think to be the voice of the customer, you have to truly understand everything from attitudes, mindsets, behaviors, and you have to bring that into your work. And often that means standing up for the customer across your cross-functional teams. And it means being able to understand how you take all that great insight around customers and integrate that into not just product roadmaps and marketing plans, but also policies within the business. And so it's actually a huge responsibility and privilege that I think we all take very seriously as product marketers. Yeah. It really is banging your hands on the table. Yeah. Being an advocate for the customer. Yes, exactly. I want to, I want to dive into some questions around brand and product marketing, because you do come from a really unique perspective here. And I think there are a lot of questions around where does product marketing end and where does brand begin? Or is that even the right way to be thinking about it? Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I think some of the best work that we've done, even this year within Uber has been, there hasn't really been a beginning and an end like when it comes to brand and product marketing. I think it's really 
important that we understand what our distinct roles and responsibilities and superpowers are. But at the end of the day, like I, I think a deep collaboration that's end to end can be more impactful than just a handoff. And so product marketing is super familiar with the, the, the business and, and the, the subject that they're actually owning or the product that they're actually owning. So when it comes to something like safety, they're intimately familiar with all the details of around safety, how the business is set up in a way to, to address the needs of safety, what we are capable of building and how that translates to an overarching business strategy. And so when I've worked with the safety team, as an example, they've been able to bring that to the table and build out the initial like project brief on, on any sort of work that we do. Brand is our superpower. The superpower of brand is really understanding how a brand comes to life in culture, what the values of the brand are and how you connect that to a bunch of the different actions that you can take. And so when we're working on a, a brief or an initiative, a brand can take all of that, that like culture consumer brand values and use that to identify an opportunity. But the role of the brand needs to be substantiated through, through product, through actions, like especially tech brands where you sometimes have skepticism of a brand or they're, they're so tangible in the world. And so product marketing plays a huge role in identifying like the, the thing that sits underneath the story and how to make that story super credible because you, you're building out the right products, which essentially are brand actions. And That's so really I think it's, it's a bit of a little bit of not, not ping pong, but it's, it's a little bit of working together to define what's the right mar business and marketing strategy. How does that translate to a, a brief? How does that come to life through the right storytelling? And what can we build to make sure that that, that story is differentiated and also meaningful and credible to consumers? What's interesting is hearing you talk about the differences and the distinction between brand and product marketing, especially as in regards to safety. It, it almost sounds like brand is the promise and product marketing. So brand is the promise that you're making to your customers about your core ethos, what they can yeah. expect from you. It almost sets the tone for the relationship. So brand owns promise, but product marketing owns, owns the proof and the proof yes. is the product. So how yes. audiences interact and how consumers can use your product to make them believe in that brand promise. So really interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think especially in like in modern marketing, like people, consumers in general are, are pretty skeptical of brands that just make big claims. And so you can't just have a set of brand values and a promise that you put out in, in a pretty TV spot. There has to be actual substance that lives beneath that to make it feel like you can get behind that brand. Consumers are smart. So I think that that's, it's important for those pieces to come together to really bring a brand to life and have impact. And so talking about bringing something to life and really creating a massive message and, and brand promise. I would love to get a behind the scenes look and, and hear from you about what it took to launch the Move What Matters campaign back in March. So take me back to March when COVID yes. hit 
And you had to address the pandemic as a company that serves millions of people around the world. And the pandemic has impacted every single person in business. And many times when things like this happen in the world, as a business, you can either choose to react or not react. And Uber really didn't have a choice in the matter because you revolve around transportation. So what was your march like for you? Yeah. Interestingly, there was a a big step that came before we had any sort of huge consumer-facing brand message. When COVID hit, no, no one really knew quite what to expect. And cities were making decisions across the world on um, shutting down whatever it was taking to keep their constituents safe. And so our first step actually within product marketing was to look at all of the different regions that we served and figure out what were the different, like what were the different contexts that we needed to develop messaging for to actually just inform our customers of what was happening with our service and what they could expect of us. And it was interesting. I remember this moment so distinctly because both myself, our product marketing leader, Laura Jones and Jasmine Taylor, who is the head of earner sat around a table, just drafting emails and drafting playbooks with every possible scenario that we could imagine so that like that someone in London who would potentially want to use our product, but had a one government shutdown context, as well as a customer in India who was looking to use our product. And there was another sort of scenario that they were living out. We were able to communicate the right message to the, the right user within their cities that told them what to expect of our product, whether that was you can only take our product during certain hours because there's a a government curfew or like you, you can use this however you see fit, but use it safely. So that was a kind of wild time over the course of two weeks, we all built these global, global, global playbooks with countless different emails that, that, that included every scenario you could think of so that regional teams could deploy messaging quickly as things were changing really quickly. So I feel like that was an important piece and just an important lesson in brand too. Like you have to get, you have to actually focus on the true customer need first, even if that's not the shiny thing, because like that's our job. Our job is to actually make sure that we're addressing customer pain points that we're getting consumers the right communication so they know how to use our product effectively. And Um, I love, I love something you said in a recent interview, which was that there is no marketing playbook for a pandemic. This is so true. I think every consumer product marketer listening right now is thinking like hashtag truth. So walk me through some of the steps your product marketing team took at the very beginning in absence of a playbook. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it honestly was like intuition and doing what we had to do to stay true to our our brand, but also do the right thing, which has been something that Dara has said for years is, has been embedded into our cultural values and, and by virtue of that, our brand. But that meant just making decisions that were intuitive that we thought we needed to take to keep people safe, which often, often was like encouraging them not to actually take a trip. And I think as we started to, you know, put ourselves in the consumer mindset, because we were also the consumers in this situation as well, right? We were all staying at home and not really certain 
what to expect. And there was so much misinformation at that time. And so I think when we were in those early days and we weren't out there doing focus groups, we weren't like at that point, we didn't have insight yet at that point to really drive the decisions and the comms. It was really just intuitively knowing how we were feeling, tapping into our own feelings and experiences, right? And using that to actually define our approach. This is such a good example of how consumer product marketers need to be on the pulse of shifting consumer needs. Our lifestyles changed overnight. For many people, this was like no longer going into an office, traveling, heading out for, you know, a night out. So in absence of insights, was this just your team coming together and saying, this is what on a regional and then global level we're all experiencing and we need to make big moves. How did you think through, okay, prioritizing insights versus we just have to move fast? Yeah. And the one thing that's incredible about this company, about Uber is we've lived through so many crises over the years that, like I said, it's an intuitive that, that we need to move fast and, and we know how to move fast in a way that's responsible and useful. And so I think that that's, that was helpful, but to get back to your question, Yeah, I think it was both tapping into our regional teams and like setting up the right, really scrappy, but accessible network to people all over the world to get the right information. We were working quite closely with ops to understand at each stage um, of lockdown that the cities were in and, and defining a message across those different stages of what we needed to say to customers if a city was moderately impacted to severely impacted. So it was actually a lot of collaboration with our operations teams and using kind of our marketing prowess to be able to understand intuitively what needed to be said to someone who is in full lockdown versus what could be said to a city that was still moving and doing what they needed to do preventatively, but weren't in full lockdown yet. So it was a lot of intuition. Wow. So it sounds like at the beginning of all of this, as cities are closing down, you're basically running around and throwing the baton and saying, okay, if this city closes down or if this city is like a full on lockdown and what types of communications are needed regionally, but at what point did you go from playing a regional communications game to starting to formulate the messaging around move what matters? Yeah. Yeah. So once we had actually gotten these these playbooks shipped, which really would enable customers to know how to use our product given their current city context and that regions had what they needed to communicate, we realized there was this, this opportunity for us as a brand to really take a stand in this moment. And, and, and in early April, basically, it became clear that COVID wasn't going away overnight, right. that it was something that was... And I suppose we were right. And so with that, we started to think about us as a brand, what are our values and how should we show up in a moment like this? Because mm-hmm. like you can spend millions and millions of dollars on a, an ad campaign to try and influence people's perception of your brand. But what's actually more impactful is showing up in a moment that's really important where people are paying attention in the right way. And so that's when we started to kick off the work around move what matters. You know, we we already started to lay the foundation on being a positive force in cities by just working with governments and giving customers the information they needed as cities were starting to lock down. But we knew we needed to do something bigger than just that. 
And so we started to think about our brand, like what we stand for, what we do, and we're a movement company, right? So that's strange when you're a movement company that, and, and the cities and the world is starting to shut down, but we're also a movement company that really uh, values safety and the safe, safety of our customers, our earners, our cities. And so we realized that like the most impactful thing we could do as, especially given our scale was tell people not to move, which to this day is still going to be one of the crazier things. I think as a marketer that I've had to do to basically tell people not to use your product. But of course, that's something that's super meaningful when you're a company that actually moves people and you're asking them not not to move. And And we actually use language. Did you get any pushback from the executive team on this messaging or how did you begin to drive alignment on this message? You know, interestingly, I would have expected that, but I think it was so clear to everyone that that was the right thing to do, that we didn't have to sell it through. And thank goodness, because we ended up launching, having to launch this thing in three weeks, but our senior leader, Thomas went directly to the CEO and Dara and had had said, you know, this is what I want to do. And we didn't actually get pushback on it. So I think it was really clear in this moment that like in, in amidst all this consumer uncertainty and people's potential public safety being at risk, that this was the thing that we had to do. And like you said, in just three weeks time, which is yeah. an insane timeline for launching a massive campaign. How did you work across all lines of business to communicate this internally And then how did you know what channels to activate for consumers? Yeah, I'd say that like with something like this, that you're moving quickly on, we started with a very small group when it came to developing the idea and and, and standing up the platform and and defining the go-to-market. And so it really started with a small group of marketers actually developing the, the creative platform and the proposed actions that would sit underneath it as well as the go-to-market before going very big and driving cross-functional alignment, which isn't always how I would approach a body of work. But I think in this case, when you're in a crisis and you have to move quickly, keeping things tight early on and then shopping it around later was actually quite helpful. And so it started with us just developing the creative platform. And then very quickly, we brought in all of the cross-functional stakeholders across the, the different lines of business, including Uber for business, the, the earner team, which is responsible for, as you know, Meredith, drivers <laughs> and couriers, the, the consumer product marketing team, uh, as well as Eats. And, and we came to them with a framework and how to think about Move What Matters and how, how it translated to their world and how their actions could sit underneath it. And, and then beyond that, we looked at some of the gaps, i.e. product gaps that we could solve with our, our, our product counterparts. And so it became a bit of a fluid process, but it started with us defining the creative platform and the consumer need, building out like something that could work across cross-functional teams, but also across the globe. And then working with our regional partners, our product marketing partners, our product partners, and so forth to actually figure out what are the actions that could live within this, this brand framework. What I love about 
the Move What Matters campaign is, I think a lot of tech companies, we see product development as really leading product roadmaps and plans. But in this case, the marketing and brand story was really the true north for the product strategy. I think like Move What Matters was the umbrella in which a lot of new product and features were launched. So how did brand serve as a filter or a framework by which teams made these decisions and helped set the priorities during COVID? Yeah, I think so. Brand, as you mentioned earlier, developed the promise. And and of course, there had to be action that sat underneath that. So with that, essentially, brand was responsible for, for putting forth this messaging that we're asking people not to move. So that was phase one. And, and phase two is so that, that essential workers, so that, that, that drivers, so that couriers could actually move what matters. So brand was responsible for the, the overall framework, the commitment and the way by which we communicated this message. And you know, Move What Matters was all about asking people not to move and stay at home so that those in their cities who were essential workers or who needed to go places could actually get where they needed to go and and do so more safely. And there are a couple of different dimensions of that. Of course, there was an earner piece that that helped that our, that I imagine Meredith, your team worked on that um, was all about making sure that we were um, supporting earners in this time that did have to you know take nurses and doctors to hospitals or just get people that needed to move to places they needed to go. And we created this framework that enabled a lot of different, a lot of different actions. There were some things that like some consumer needs that actually weren't served that helped to inspire other products. And one example of that was if we're asking people not to move and stay at home, then things have to move to them. And so of course, eats played a huge role in that, but also on my side of the fence, we developed a product called Uber Connect that was all about consumer to consumer delivery, which was enabling our drivers to deliver packages between consumers, peer to peer delivery, when people couldn't see each other. And that was interesting because if we're asking people not to stay at home, then we have to serve their need to get get them things. And that was one way that the actual framework inspired a, a product. So it sounds like not only did you launch a series of communications around Move What Matters via email and paid marketing, asking movers not to ride, but that this messaging really helped drive the product roadmap and investing in new products and features such as Uber Connect and Uber Medic and the last mile delivery. What are some tips for product marketers in helping drive product roadmap? Because I do think that's a question that comes up a lot. Yeah, I learned this early on at Uber when we didn't really have user insights and it felt like such a gap, but research and consumer knowledge is, is, is power. You really have so much that can be leveraged when you understand customers. And in our case, we actually were doing weekly focus groups at that point that I was like directly partnered with a, a researcher and we would go and be able to talk to people who we really didn't have much insight into at that point. And, and given the uncertainty of the world, that was that was pretty like pretty important. And so when we started talking about this product, Uber Connect, 
product marketers were actually able to bring knowledge directly back to the product teams on how to, how to shape this product. One of those pieces of insight that we brought in was that people were feeling a, a lack of connection. Like you and I and everyone else was sitting at our homes yes. isolated. And so one of the ways that we were able to actually solve this real quickly emerging pain point was by enabling someone to deliver a cake or a game or a PlayStation. Toilet paper. Exactly. Or toilet paper to their friend or their their mom or their grandma. And so we were able to play a really active role by pulling these real-time insights that we developed with our partners in research and shaping the name of the product. Connect is obviously has a strong point of view from a product naming perspective, but also help people understand like why would they would use a product like this? Because we had real-time use cases that we were pulling from research. So that's powerful. And I actually think Connect was has been surprisingly even more successful than I think we expected. And, and I, part of that, I think, is because we were able to really consider what is it that people need and how can we shape this product in such a way that it actually is meaningful and useful to people. That's really interesting. There were a lot of products and features that launched under the umbrella of Move What Matters. And in looking at all of them, Uber Medic, Last Mile Delivery, Uber Connect, is there one, and I think you mentioned that Uber Connect was largely successful, but is there one that really stands out as being the most successful or one that maybe didn't do so well? And what do you think you got right or could have done better? You know, I have to say, I don't think a single product didn't stand out as successful, but there were definitely elements of improvement across across a, a number of them. And I can give you an, an ex- example with Uber Connect. We, we felt that the most important thing was to educate people on the product itself. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about what are the right use cases to promote? What is the right positioning? How do we bring this to, to market to educate people? And what we realized that it was that we actually had a bit of a discovery problem and in that we are asking people to use this delivery product that sits within a ride sharing app that people aren't really using right now. And so I think that was a huge learning for us, which is thinking about discovery and and adoption really from the beginning and discovery plays a, a huge role in that and figuring out, you know, clever ways to, to push this information to people versus expect that they're going to read an email or that they're going to actually see this show up in earned media. And so the second phase of launching Connect was really about using our, our app to promote discovery of Connect versus just assuming that people are going to know to go directly to the app and use this new product. Right. And when you're going so fast, like you don't really think about discoverability as much as just getting something to market. And I think you mentioned, right. And I think you've mentioned in previous interviews that you believe making big, bold bets requires close collaboration between marketing and product, but more importantly, willingness to sacrifice perfection in the pursuit of relevance. And I think this is particularly the case in this example and just with the pandemic in general, what is one example that where you felt like you, you, you and your team had to sacrifice perfection for relevance? I mean, I actually do think in the very beginning and when I, what I was talking about with these, these global playbooks, we, we tend to go through these long creative reviews to get 
pork out there to, to ensure that it's of the highest quality. And, and I, I believe in that process. I believe that good work takes iteration, but when it comes to knowledge, it was really critical for us to actually build out these playbooks and in, in some cases, write the email ourselves as PMMs versus ship it to copywriters because it was more important for us to get people the information quickly than it was for it to be perfect. And we had a few principles by, that we lived by in, in writing that copy and getting that information out. One was just be human. And the second was be accurate. And as long as we were doing both of those things, that was enough in the content. So you're going super fast in you know a matter of weeks time. And usually at Uber, launch playbooks and actually bringing a product to market can take months. And something that I'm always trying to improve on in managing a go-to-market launch is planning for future launches in parallel. And that can be really tricky. And I think that this is something that your team really had to be in lockstep on because not only were you building the move what matters campaign, but you were also in parallel having to launch the COVID recovery plan. There was a lot of uncertainty around when people would ride again. So how did you start to think about the recovery plan as you were launching Move What Matters? That That's a great question. And honestly, I think a lot of that was about empowering the team to, to run with certain things and checking in in the right strategic moments. I don't think we touched upon this, this earlier, but I've been in this dual role of brand, brand marketing, leading global brand, but also leading consumer product marketing. And that happened basically in the springtime as COVID was happening. And so a lot of the recovery work on the consumer side of things ended up being in the the recovery planning ended up being like truly led by some of some of my leads. And so they had a framework to work off of because they had this, this brand messaging and they could run off of that, but they were accountable for thinking down the line for the next year and thinking about the different phases that we would go through within this pandemic and as much as they could, which was nearly impossible to plan for the right set of product launches against those, those different phases. And so I think what ended up working quite well as we were moving quickly was really freedom in a framework. I worked with the team to develop a framework by which we could plan. And then I could run at something like move what matters while they were planning against the right long-term go-to-markets for recovery. And that was super helpful. I think it just goes to show the strength of the teams at Uber for being able to trust um, each other within the freedom of the framework. I love that. Yes. And so going back to what you said before, which is there really is no playbook for a pandemic Based on your experience now, if you had to deal with a crisis again, and hopefully we would never have to deal with this pandemic again, but what are some of your few takeaways on what went right or things that you would do differently if you were in some type of crisis management situation like this in the future? That's a really great question. You've touched upon speed, so I won't get too much into that, but I do think that there it's really important to optimize for speed over perfection. I think that the second piece, which actually plays into that a little bit, is just staying true to who you are. Because 
if you're making decisions on what to say as a brand or what to build, it's so much easier to do that when you're just sticking to the things that are inherent to your values. And so for us, safety and how we approach safety became very intuitive, which was to be very direct, to take like somewhat bold stances and to, to do so in a way that was taking care of those that use our platform. I think that was relatively easy to shape quickly because we were staying true to who we are. And, and it, similarly, when it came to move what matters and asking people to not move, like we're, if you're a brand that is all about safety, that is inherently the right thing to do. And right. it becomes less difficult to make that decision, less difficult to sell it through because everyone knows that that's what you're about. So I think that was one huge learning and then from an operational perspective, like we were working in really small, nimble groups and, and we had very frequent communications and meaning that like we would, we would have daily standups. A lot of the different principles that apply to sprints and working iteratively and, and building quickly and being generative, all of those things that we know very well in product marketing, they apply very nicely in a, a crisis. So I think that all of those things proved out in this time. And I would take them into a, a crisis in the future. If it were to happen, fingers crossed, we don't have anything like this happen again. <laughs> I know. I know. And it still feels like we're not quite out of the woods here. And so I can only imagine that the work is not over for you. It will just continue. And with all of the upcoming safety features that are going to be put into effect as people start to go back into the world and, and take rides. Yeah. We're definitely hoping next year. I think we're, we're taking a, a more optimistic approach to 2021. We know safety will continue to be really important to people, but also as a movement brand, when cities start moving again, we're going to have to play a really exciting, interesting role in city recovery. And so I am excited about next year. I'm optimistic it'll be a little bit different. Yes. All right. One last question to wrap things up. In the next five to 10 years, bridge between brand and product marketing, where would you like to see the future of these two roles come together? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that when it comes to, to brand and product, I think one of the other things that one of the things that we have in common that, that should, that should continue to come to life in a meaningful way is the experience. And I think we're starting to see too that the old way of marketing of big TV campaigns and and a lot of you know above the line work that'll still be the case, but so much more of brand articulation and brand meaning is going to be about how it shows up in the experience. And you're already seeing that. I do think over the course of the next five years, product reflecting culture, especially tech product reflecting culture or reflecting brand, is going to be a really important development, just as much as product will continue to be such an inherent part of, of brand. So I, I think they're just going to start blending together more as consumers get smarter and realize that they are looking for brands that have a real positive utility in their life. And so they will look to product to actually make decisions on what brand they connect to. I love it. I love it. Meg, this was really insightful. 
I absolutely loved our conversation. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. It really has been incredible. And I'm sure that so many listeners are going to want to connect with you. So can they connect on LinkedIn? Yes. Yes. Find me on LinkedIn. That's a great place. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, and we'll see you all next week.